Welcome back to another episode of Life in Space. Today's episode is going to be a interview with me and Home Studio Simplified. Uh, we had a talk over his uh, show that he does. He does a live show uh, that is uh, including a lot of really good uh, pointers and uh, examination into how to do home studio recording. And not only that, but to do it a, a simple and effective way as well. So if you want to, go ahead and pull up the easy chair and uh, sit down and relax for an episode of uh, Life in Space, where I talked to uh, Robert McLean, and he is a quite a fascinating guy. He shares a lot of the same uh, unique things that I uh, enjoy as well in audio production and sound engineering and whatnot, and he's also a great production manager uh, who does a lot of great things with guitar work and also helps people produce his, uh, you know, like tracks or music that uh, people want to actually have uh, mastered, so uh, he's a very good guy at uh, doing those kind of things, and uh, so so go ahead and uh, check out this episode, and um, by the end of it, I will tell you how you can get a hold of him, if there's anything that you might want to ask him, or if you want to actually just join his show or talk to him, uh, maybe get some feedback and some information on how to do things like this on your own. Uh, so uh, thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I give to you Audio Surgeon. Hey, everybody. <laughs> All right. Good deal. Uh, just in the chat real quick, those of you who are are here, let me know that you can hear both of our audio so that we're not going through all of this interview process looking like a horrible Chinese film. <laughs> yeah. So just give us a quick thumbs up in the chat if you can hear us and we will go ahead. Hello from Canada's frozen north, says Herky Acuff. I'll have to duck in and out due to work dirty work, with work duties, <laughs> but look forward to catching this the best that I can. Oh, awesome. So he's popping in, in and out on his lunch break. I'm assuming Herky that, uh, you can hear us. Sound is super says glory to glory. Good deal. All nice, right. Nice. Well, audio surgeon, welcome to the show, man. Hey, how you doing, man? It's uh, great to be here. It's uh, really an honor. So thank you very much for having me on. Oh no. The honor is, is definitely all mine. Uh, <laughs> this is really, this is what this entire community is is built upon is um, getting to know individuals, collaborating with individuals. And in doing so, we find out more about ourselves by reaching out and finding more about others. And one of the things that immediately stood out to me, um, I had not even heard of you or your whereabouts or anything until the song uh, contest. And you had submitted um, one of the first songs, I believe was in, I want to say it was the September edition, maybe. Or maybe even it before was a, that. It was a while ago, yeah. Yeah. But either way, I listened to the song and immediately was like, wow. <laughs> so I'm I'm not I'm not too keen with keyboards or synths, but I love the sound of them. Um, if you've hung around the channel very long, you know that one of my favorite bands growing up was Rush. Of course, Getty Lee would play the bass and a synth at the same time. I don't know how in the world he did that. But wow. <laughs> <laughs> but with that being said, the synth has always been sort of an integral part of my life. And so when I heard your music being submitted, I was like, wow, that is, that is really cool. And we also have some other uh, synth lovers in the community. I know um, Mark George is one, uh, Keith, he's definitely one. We've got a couple others I know that submit very synth heavy productions. And so 
when you reached out, I was like, absolutely. I definitely want to want to pick your brain, if nothing else, because I want to know more about you. I want to know more about synth production. Um, I'm interested in all aspects of music, so I'd like to know more about that as well. So we're definitely going to touch on that. But before we even get to to any of that, let's get to know you a little bit better. So this sure. pseudonym audio surgeon, where did this officially come from? Uh, it's kind of a funny story. Uh, man, this, uh, this must have been like in 2003, I believe. Um, I had just first messed around with this FL Studio program, uh, which a friend of mine gave me. And uh, I was just kind of blown away how within your computer you can actually put together all these cool sounds and make a playlist of music and all that stuff. So uh, at the time I was looking for software and there was actually a software that had a name, Audio Surgeon, but with a U instead of an E. And I decided that's kind of catchy. So it, it kind of hung, hung with me for a while. You know, I was just kind of thinking about it. And like after a week or so, I was like, you know, that'd be a great name for like, you know, uh, just like a, you know, composer or someone who would, you know, get into synthesizers and audio, you know, kind of like editing and things like that. So, uh, I, I actually put it out to everybody and they said, Oh, uh, one, one thing uh, is incorrect here though. You misspelled surgeons, you know, cause I put an E instead <laughs> of you and I was like, right. wait a minute. No, no, no. That, that was on purpose. Yeah. That's, that's just my style. You know, that's like my little unique taste or my little touch to it. So that kind of stuck there. And so I, I capitalized the E so that way everybody kind of gets the idea. It's not actually a surgeon. It's kind of like surgeon, I guess gotcha. like a pun or something like that. <laughs> awesome. So I was, I was really wondering about that. Cause I was like, okay, but that, yeah. Great explanation. So um, now, apart from just being a hobbyist musician that likes to produce his own music, you can also tell that he has fun doing it. He recently started a podcast, and he's been using that sort of creative venture to open a world of exploration into what he calls space. And mm -hmm. the podcast itself is actually entitled Life in Space, and the episodes revolve around synthesis and music theory and just a whole world of other cool stuff. So describe to me, if you can, I know sometimes these are like ethereal you know, uh, sort of heady type things, but, um, what exactly does space mean to you? Space, you know, uh, the first time I ever heard like a deep reverb or like, you know, some sort of delay or echo kind of reminds me of like, well, obviously you can't hear anything in space, but it's so spacious just in itself. So when I think of space, I think of really like heavy reverb, uh, kind of like, uh, uh, like sounds or like, you know, cool different effects that just have a lot of different environment. Like you could be sitting in a closet and then hear things that are just gigantic, you know? Right. And that's, what's really cool about it. So, uh, the space for me kind of resembles that. And not only that, it's like my, you know, my special space I like to be in as well. So the, as for the podcast, like I, I decided to name it life in space. Cause it's, it's kind of like tailored to things that I'm interested in and things I, that I hope that other people can find interesting as well. That is, that's pretty awesome. So you, you've sort of encapsulated space as, um, sort of like a, a reverb delay type audio type spectrum. And then you've the life in space thing. It's almost like you're saying you're like your life in music. That's awesome. That's a, that's yeah, a great yeah, way to yeah. very, uh, almost esoteric. I like yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> I try to find like these deep meanings and things, you know, everything, I guess you could, think of it as everything in, in a sense is like a metaphor, uh, especially through life and everything. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm looking for these little metaphors and things that just come to me instantly. It doesn't have to be something genius or something brilliant or anything like that. It's just something that comes to you that might be creative 
or that might just be you, I guess. It's just a part of you and how you sound and how you make things or be creative, art in general, painting, music, all, all that stuff. Yeah, in the uh, the olden days, I believe they called that the muse. Whenever the muse? A, yeah, when a, an individual would sit down and, and write a song, they would, mm-hmm. they would actually, sometimes they even hired people who they would call their muse that would inspire them. And um, I remember reading a story uh, about a traveling bard who... Supposedly it was a true story. I don't know how true it was, but I don't know how the history got passed down from a no-name individual from years ago. But anyway, um, supposedly the traveling bard had hired this muse who would basically just inspire him from time to time. And they would go sit by a babbling brook and, and the muse would say, babbling brook, waterfalls, pebbles, stones. And it almost sounded like a haiku to me. Um, but then that individual, the bard, would take that then and he would say, ooh, stop right there. And then he would write a, a lyric and it was kind of cool. I thought, yeah, that's that's kind of like what inspiration does. It, it's just one little thing you pick pick and pinpoint or something that might jump out to you. May, I might just pass by it 30 times, but you're going to pass by it and you're going to go, ooh, I just got a little something from that. So very cool way yeah. to, to think about that. So uh, what inspired you actually to get into music in the first place? Oh boy. Again, it started way back. Um, when I first found out you could do these cool synthesizers, which I didn't really know anything about before way back. It must've been like in 2003, like I mentioned, uh, I, I, I kind of never really was into music when I was younger and this was kind of like my introduction into it. So I kind of found it a little late. Uh, and then from there I kind of took a hiatus. Uh, there was a period of time where I just didn't, you know, feel like doing music or I just kind of lost it. And then up until recently, a about 2016, I think it is. Uh, my wife was uh, telling me, "Hey, you know, you should get back into it. You know, you know, check out like some cool synthesizers or some things that might be of interest, to, you know, to me." So that's when I started getting into like the hardware synthesizers. Uh, the very first one that I got was a Mother 32. It was actually a three-tier rack with three of them. If you don't know what that is, it's a uh, semi-modular uh, analog synthesizer that has 32 patch points. Uh, and you can do all kinds of cool stuff with it. But I started getting back into it with that. And then as time went on, as I started kind of getting like familiar with it again, I kind of went back to my roots. I, I started getting interested in like doing uh, things in FL Studios again, recording and all that. And it just kind of all came back together again. So that that's kind of like, I guess, my little journey to it. Uh, but uh, as of now, uh, it's, it's, it seems like I'm getting to that point where, uh, I actually learned a little bit about myself as, as a musician, not necessarily as a live musician, but more of as a composer. So I kind of see myself as like a composer when it comes to like creating things. I like to kind of like write things down in a playlist. I like to make sure that everything kind of like, you know, makes sense. Sometimes if I'm just playing live or something like that, uh, I get kind of like the timing is off or something doesn't sound right. Uh, although I do enjoy doing it, but I would never be able to do it on stage. It's just something that I, you know, I need to work on as well, you know, as my artist persona and everything. So that actually, you kind of answered my next question, but maybe you could even delve a little bit deeper into it because I, I, that's, see, I don't know much about the whole synthesizer side of things, but I have seen them in action and they look absolutely amazing. It's like, when you see someone who is gifted with synthesizers, uh, I'm thinking of a man named, I think it's Ian Bluestone. Mm-hmm. Um, he he did a workshop one time through Cakewalk and just, it was like a kid in a candy store. Like he was just doing all that and he's like having so much fun 
And I'm like, what is he doing? But it looks cool and it sounds great, you know? So, um, so what does your creative process actually look like when you're writing a piece? I mean, how do you, how do you wrap your head around all of that? Uh, at first it's very, very overwhelming. And the, the first bit of advice I would give anybody out there though, before they jump into this, uh, is that these things are incredibly, you know, in the price range of maybe a thousand plus. Uh, so, um, if you do ever get into it, go, go small and try it out before you buy it. Um, but, uh, yeah, like I said, it's very overwhelming. So a lot of the times when I jump into like my DAW and I just start get going and I start doing things in my DAW, uh, I, I try to create a melody of some sorts. And a lot of times I might do it even with a virtual plugin. So that way I kind of get a feel for it. I'll kind of mess around with stuff, turn knobs and kind of mess around with the cutoff filter and everything. Just kind of like, you know, feel out the sound that I'm trying to look for. And a lot of times it's kind of hard to find it. But with a with like a hardware synthesizer, like uh, the sub 37, I, I don't know if you can see it. I don't Let me see if I can move the camera. Um, there's Ooh, a sub 37, right? Yeah, it's a Moog sub 37. Uh, sometimes when I'm doing like a live thing, uh, I will uh, just kind of play around with like melodies and things. And when something kind of comes to me, like something that I'm like, okay, that's something I want to actually record. I'll go into the playlist and I'll actually record like the MIDI information and then I'll fine tune it from there and then make an audio recording out of it. So it's kind of like a, a layering kind of effect. You know, you kind of build, then layer, build, then layer. And usually a lot of times drums don't even come in until much later if they, if they required it. Uh, but that's kind of how I do it. I, I kind of compose in a sense. It's not so much that I'm just kind of just riffing and doing it live and everything kind of goes together and everything. It, it takes a lot of like meditation, a lot of practice and a mm -hmm. lot of thinking in order to do it as well. Wow. Okay. So that actually, that brings up another question then. Um, so synthesizers, I've noticed sort of by nature, they almost have a, a percussive element to them. So like with my process, I usually start with the drums or even going before that, maybe I'll sit down with my acoustic guitar and I'll get a song idea and I'll write the riff or maybe the melody. And then from there, I always am like, well, I need that baseline of you know, a drum track to go off of to get my tempo down to figure out what tempo the song is going to be. So you actually kind of work in reverse of that. Wow. Okay. I, I used to start with drums, but see the problem I found with that, like, I, I guess it's just my, my finding, I guess maybe it just didn't work with me, but I found that a lot of my songs started kind of having like a techno-y vibe to it. And so it just kind of became like just this drum loop going over. And I'm like, well, that sounds cool. But then when I started layering things on top of it, well, it kind of takes away from the drums or this and that. So I had kind of like this battle mm. of trying to make the two work together. And I find that sometimes by using empty space within your song, like sometimes even just some like spots where it's silent, you know, or you're just kind of like, if you look at it, maybe like in a way of painting, you're kind of painting over like layers and stuff, but you don't want to paint everything. If you paint everything, it gets too muddy and it gets too messy. So you want to leave some open spaces for it to breathe. And I find that sometimes those songs really hit you a lot more than maybe something that's just kind of like coming at you too hard or something like that. But I notice when I do drums, I start com coming in too hard and it does just doesn't fit right. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe it's just my, the way I do things. I don't know. <laughs> Wow. Okay. No, that's totally fine. And that's, that's one of the beautiful things about music in general is just the fact that I think, well, for far too long, it seems like people have 
not so much anymore, thankfully, because of channels like this and Warren Hewitt's and others who have been kind of letting people know, like, it's okay to break the rules every once in a while. And so what you're saying is like, you totally thought outside of the box, broke the rules, quote unquote, so to speak, and just kind of did what worked for you. And the end result is, is obviously a much, something much more pleasing to you. So, yeah. And, and also like, I tried to learn like, you know, what, what, what you might call like uh, classical piano and stuff like that. And I, I found it to kind of get in the way a little bit because now it was turning into like something that I'm trying to learn or force on myself. Uh, I, I know like some basic things like where middle C is. And then, you know, if you're going from A, B, C, D, D, E, F, G or whatever, I, I kind of know where the placements are and I've kind of memorized where the keys are, you know, when, when you have like an octave and you go up an octave and all that. But, uh, that that was something I kind of struggled with was actually kind of learning how to play piano. So um, that kind of element, I guess, doesn't really apply in my music. I kind of just kind of like go with it, I guess. It's kind of it's a weird way to explain it, but I just kind of like feel out what kind of, you know, sounds good. I, I, I try not to use too many tricks. I know there's tricks on here that you can just play chords and stuff. Like, for instance, if I if I'm playing horns, this is just a virtual instrument. Like I'm just playing chords and stuff. You, you could do that all day and you can make a beat to it and everybody can, you know, jam out to that and stuff, but actually creating like a melody. Now that's the hard thing to do. Creating something that is so unique that actually makes people like, wow, that's emotional. And they, they get kind of emotional about it. So that's something that I really try to work on when I'm doing my music. But as for actually playing piano, like Oh my God, I'm so lost when I'm like, someone's playing like, like a G minor or a name. I'm like, well, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> that sounds a lot like me with the guitar. Um, I have no real background in music theory. I've never been professionally taught. I just, I picked it up and started learning by ear. And my dad, of course, showed me smoke on the water, which is sort of, that's the song that everyone has to learn, you know, mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's your initiation, right? And from there, I was like, I don't want to just learn Smoke on the Water. And so he let me um, listen to one of his Rush albums. It was the 2112 album. And I was still on the fence about whether or not I wanted to uh, play guitar or not. And I listened to the 2112 Overture, and it sold me. I spent the next month trying to learn that incredibly hard at the time. And I was like, once I got it down, though, that sense of accomplishment of, wow, you know, and but the thing is, like when I play at our local assembly, um, our keyboardist is classically trained. She's got a doctorate in music and she's like she knows that I'm very willy nilly. I play by ear and by feel. And so mm -hmm. over the course of the years, she's gotten away from uh, we are actually playing in the key of G this time. We'll be playing in the third <laughs> quarter semi note. Uh, can you follow along? I'll be like. OK, yeah, but then I find my way there and. I finally get there and, and I play along and then she'll, she's kind of scratched her head. Sometimes. She's like, but you were playing an octave down, but somehow it sounded right. How did you, where did you? And I'm like, I'm, I'm honestly, I don't even know where you're at. I'm just, I'm messing. <laughs> so yeah. um, that, it, it, it sounds a lot, right? it sounds a lot like you're sort of doing the similar thing. You're just having fun with it. 
Yeah. But there is a sense of accomplishment like you're talking about. Like I was just playing, uh, boy, there's this uh, theme from uh, Forrest Gump. It's that piano theme, you know, and uh, I I do test myself every once in a while. I actually say, Mm -hmm. okay, that sounds pretty simple. I might be able to get that down. So what I did is I try to hear it. I even got like a MIDI file. And this is kind of nice, too, if you want to train yourself. You can download MIDI files off the Internet of like, you know, songs and whatnot and put them into your playlist and you can actually see which key is being played. And then I can kind of guess, you know, I can hear it and stuff. And so I actually did get it down. And and when that happens, when I actually do hear it and it's like, that's the song, that's, that's what I'm doing right now. Like that is mind blowing though. I mean, it's like, wow, I'm actually playing something that somebody else composed. And so that you're definitely right. That is a huge sense of accomplishment. And it actually kind of gives me that same feeling. Like when you're trying to put together a puzzle, you're trying to figure it out. And it's just like, oh, there's, there's the missing piece right there, you know? And it's almost like it's telling you how to play the song. You know, it's just weird. I don't know. Do you ever get that? Man, that is an excellent analogy, actually. I don't think I've ever been able to put into words quite so fluently. Um, That is awesome. Yeah, I I completely, (laughs) like, as soon as you said it, I was like, yes, I know exactly what he's talking about. There's been times, like, even here recently, um, I was working on a song with an individual we were collaborating with and um, had no clue about where I was going to go with it or what I was going to do with it. And sort of just through the tinkering process of just like you sort of said too, like a meditative process of just listening to the song, letting it, letting it speak to you um, mm-hmm. rather than going, okay, he's playing in a G minor. So that's a, in a Nashville, Nashville number system, that would be a five, four to the, instead of doing all that, I was just like, okay, I'm hearing this in my head. How can I make that come out on the fretboard? And then from there, the missing puzzle piece just kind of starts falling in your lap and you're like, Ooh, okay, this sounds great. This sounds great. And that's, I think is what brings more excitement to me than anything, because I've, I almost feel like if I had that knowledge of, you know, music theory, like I was really in depth in that, it would almost, I think be boring to me. Yeah. I kind of get that vibe too. I know. Yeah. I know exactly what you're saying. Like I would just be like, Oh, I know exactly what to do and where to go and how to make this sound professional. Whereas Mm -hmm. if I'm kind of just discovering it, it's like every song is like a new territory, a new realm, a new discovery. So. That's true. Yeah, that's, that's exactly like, yeah, that's exactly how I was thinking about it. And, uh, yeah, once you feel that it's like, it's something that I don't know if everybody really, maybe with other types of, you know, arts and things like that, you, you get that as well. But like, uh, it is, it's just, it's like a sense of just great accomplishment. I don't know how to explain. It's so great though. (laughs) So along those same lines, um, that's actually an an excellent segue into my next question that I had for you. How, and it's different for everybody, um, but so that's why I really want to know, like, how has music personally affected your life? Good question. Good question. Um, I think it kind of gives me a sense of like who I am. Uh, It also kind of gives me discipline in some sense. Like uh, sometimes I'll feel like, well, it just seems like it's work. I'm just going to go in there. I get frustrated and nothing's going to happen and stuff. But, you know, the more I kind of, you know, give myself the encouragement to go and do it, it kind of gives me a sense of self-accomplishment. So, like I said, I kind of push myself to do it. And, and, uh, it seems like it's something that I can actually go back to and learn from too. So like a, a lot of times when I'm just out and about and stuff, I'll put one of my tracks on or I'll listen to my music or maybe a podcast, something like that. And I'll learn more things from it too. I'll learn like, okay, I can maybe do something a little bit better there. Or maybe a thought that I had in a podcast comes up and I'm like, oh, I just, now I remembered how, you know, something on my mixer works or something like that. So it, it kind of keeps my mind clear in a sense. 
and it kind of makes me um, think, you know, more, more thinking. That's something I need more in my life. So I need to think more and, uh, you know, process things a little bit better. So that's the great thing that I think that a lot of the stuff that I'm doing is helping myself. You know, along those same lines, um, in light of the, the current status of, of the world right now and everything that everyone's going through. And, um, this is why I feel sort of like what we're doing right now is so important because more so than just the creating a community aspect, which by the way, creating a community is, is where it's at. And that's, I'm, I'm dead set on making this an an awesome community because I feel like that's what people are lacking in the, in the world of of music, especially because we've always all kind of been just sort of so introverted, not that there's anything wrong with that, but sometimes you can be so introverted that you don't get any outside inspiration and your music all kind of starts to sound the same after a while. And, but this aspect, like you're just, you just brought up about how music has affected your life in general, um, which is another thing why this is so important for us to talk about it openly and to let others know like, Hey, this can be fun. Yeah, there's a lot to learn at first. There is a learning curve, but it's rewarding. Mm-hmm. And if, I think if any of you who are in the chat today or you're watching this and you, you haven't even showed up in the chat, maybe you're just you're just watching and you, as of yet, don't have any kind of musical skills under your belt, don't be discouraged, but keep trying. Because as he's just said, and as I've got tons of... of <laughs> personal testimonies myself about how music has personally helped me through low times. The world right now more than anything needs music. And so if if you have an inclination to move in that direction, but you don't know where to start or how to get started, individuals like myself, individuals like Audio Surgeon, there's all kinds of people who are willing to help you get a leg up and, and to understand this, to wrap your head around it. And like you've just heard him say, and myself as well. Like you don't have to be classically trained. You don't have to know everything about it to jump into it and have fun with it. So excellent, excellent answers. Absolutely. Yes. So like I said, I'm not, I'm not big into synth music. I love synth music, but I'm, I myself cannot necessarily wrap my head around it. So help me to understand as let's try to try to dumb it down for me here. Like I'm, I'm a kindergartner. What would you define synth music as uh synth music it's well synth synthetic i I would imagine that would probably be the word closest to it so this is a recreation of sound um now the way that these modular synthesizers work uh like the sub 37 if you hear it's basically just you know a wave now that wave is actually being reproduced by electricity and circuitry in there so uh, when you listen to an analog synthesizer like that, you're actually hearing what's going on in the circuitry. So none of that is actually being digitally, re- digitally recreated in any way. It's coming through completely like as if you're playing a guitar in a sense. So if you're strumming on a guitar, you're strumming on the strings, the magnetic pickups, pick that up, send it through the, you know, the cable, goes into your mixer, you hear the audio back out. So that's basically it in its most simple form. Now, when you're dragging it into your DAW and you're now adding some digital effects or some, you know, something on top of it, there's really no virtual, how do you say, difference in sound or anything. You're still hearing the waves that are coming out of the synthesizer. But the difference between a digital synthesizer and maybe one that's built into your DAW, what they call like a VST or a plugin, 
uh, that is actually like some sort of code in a sense. You know, your processor is now doing all these different, you know, mechanical, complicated, you know, numbers and things like that of some sort. And then it comes up with a sound. So you're kind of skipping all that when you're going with a with an analog synthesizer. And in some cases, people will tend to say that they sound better. Um, in my time working with analog and digital, uh, to basically put it out as basic as I can possibly think about it, they all just make sound. So it doesn't necessarily mean any difference when you're hearing a digital or an analog one. Now, they've gotten a lot better with the digital ones. The digital ones almost pretty much sound replicated the same as, as an analog synthesizer, if that, if that makes any sense to you. But, uh, but yeah, that's essentially what they do and they just replicate sound. Okay. Awesome. So Mike, who's in the chat here, which by the way, Mike is a first timer. So thank you so much, Mike, for stopping by. So glad to have you. He actually wanted to, he's added something here to the conversation. He said, which I want to point this out because I think it's, he's really hit the nail on the head here. He says, with a guitar, you kind of know what to be expected. With a synth, you got no idea. (laughs) Yeah, you can't, you can't really see it in in a sense that like, unless you have a spectroscope, if you have a spectra, you know, one of those little readouts that show you the wave and everything, you can see what the wave looks like. And there's actually a visual representation of it, almost like a guitar tuner. If you have a pedal that has a tuner and well, maybe not as intense, but uh, this one is actually, have you ever seen those little scratchy lines where, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I'm sure in your Dodge shows at the top, you can see uh, like if sounds coming in and out, uh, but you can get something like that to visually see it. Now, if you don't have that, then yeah, you're kind of working off nothing, twisting knobs and seeing what happens. Now there is a science to it. I mean, if you, if you know exactly what you're doing there, if you know how to, you know, uh, adjust the attack so you can kind of get more of a plucky sound if you know how to, you know, adjust the decay. So it kind of has like a smooth, you know, uh, out, uh, those are going to be like the things that shape the sound. Uh, now a cutoff filter, basically it just kind of like, you know, um, takes the sound in and out in, in a sense, if that's the basic way of, of, of explaining like how a filter works. Uh, but yeah, if, if you're not using a spectrogram or something like that, you can get lost. And that's kind of one of the things that can be overwhelming about, especially an expensive synthesizer. Now, um, like I mentioned, they can be kind of pricey. And if you go out and buy a really expensive synthesizer, you know, or if you think, oh, yeah, this is something I really want to do, but you don't know any anything about it, uh, it can be overwhelming, though. So be careful, you know, when getting into it, especially with the modular gear. That's a whole nother level of stuff. That's like really, really basic stuff, but very complicated. <laughs> so uh, along those same lines, then, what would be the best synthesizer in your personal opinion for someone who's just starting out wants to get into synth music uh well if if you want to go real basic um now the best advice i would say for anybody that just wants to mess around with music in general go out and get a daw first because if you don't know how to operate a daw none of this is going to even make any difference to you because you won't have any way of recording it you won't have any way of uh manipulating it you won't have any way of making sense of it because for instance, I have a Korg monologue. Uh, it's, it's a smaller one. It's, it's a mono monophonic synthesizer that plays only one note. And, uh, this would actually be kind of a good starter one. Uh, it, it ranges from about two ninety nine to like three fifty, depends. And this is going to be probably your more low range synthesizer. Uh, this one would actually be kind of good for a beginner. Uh, but 
if you just play on that all day long and you have no way of recording it or no way of, you know, doing anything with it, then that kind of becomes a discouraging thing. You know, for instance, you can just plug headphones in it and just listen to this all day, you know, something like that. So a DAW, even to learn how to do synthesis, uh, FL Studios comes with a lot of really good plugins. Uh, there's a three oscillator synth that you can just, it's real basic and everything. And it gives you the idea of how you can take square waves and sine waves and triangle sawtooth or whatever they call them and mix them. So that way you can design a specific sound because that's basically all they do. They, they, you're basically using these synthesizers to design a specific sound. And some of these sounds can be very, monotone and some of them can be very grand and very interesting and with that what's also great about a DAW or if you do own like an effects pedal or something like that that's also going to add even more enjoyment to it you know I always say that a synthesizer's best friend is like reverb delay things like that makes it very very interesting so uh, beginners I would probably start off with a DAW the most affordable one you can get and mess around with the programs on there that's probably the best advice because some people might not, might not even like it. You know, it, it can, like I said, it can be discouraging and you might not really be that into it. That's, that's really, really good points that you just brought out. In fact, um, I know that I predominantly preach and teach cakewalk by band lab on this channel. However, um, in all fairness, I think pretty much every DAW on the market now at least comes with one VSTI instrument that has that, those aspects of synthesis in it, like he's like he's just spoke of. In fact, in the chat just a minute ago, uh, we had a couple of individuals that were talking about some free VSTI synth instruments that you can download as well. There's tons of these on the market, and like he just said, you know, you don't have to go after. Uh, let's see, Scott KC2CAD says there's a virtual module Euro rack called the VCV rack, and it's free mm -hmm, to download yeah. and use. Um, Mike also said the sub 37 with DFAM is nice. Yes. <laughs> um, which I don't think that one's free. <laughs> no, no. Um, Keith Lane is in the chat now too. He's a, he's an awesome, awesome synthesis composer as well. And he says he started with a horrible synth, the DX 21. He said it was a menu diving nightmare. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but yeah, um, with that being said, any DAW that you would pretty much throw yourself at obviously you want to pick one that's going to be that's going to work well for your workflow for whatever makes sense to you and as you've heard me say here on the channel yet again i know i talk a lot about cakewalk that's my doll of choice but your daw is only a tool your daw is not going to make you sound better it's not going to make your music sound better it literally is just a go-between point but the whole purpose of having different daws is one person um, will find a better workflow in one versus another. So find the one that works best for you and then just run with it. Learn the most that you possibly can about it and don't look back because the second you start hopping DAWs, now you've got to learn a whole new DAW. You've set yourself back however many months or even years to try to learn all of the ins and outs of that instead of just making the music. So excellent, excellent points um, brought up by our good friend here today. And and one, one thing that I would like to point out too is... Um, yes, he has a room full of goodies, uh, but I guarantee you because he's got the general principles now, correct me if I'm wrong here, but because you have the general principles of how to make these things work for you, 
you could take a free download VSTi synth and essentially do most of the same things. Correct me if I'm wrong here. Oh yeah, that's 100% correct. Awesome. So see, and that's the point that I was trying to get at is you can get into this synthesis game for free and then work your way up. Like he said earlier, work your way up to maybe some of the analog units that you're, you're wanting to get because at the end of the day, you know, I've, I've went through several conversations like it's got to be a real guitar with a real amp and a real and some of this stuff. Yes, there's definitely some truth to it, especially when you come into emulations of amp cab emulations and guitar emulations and things like that. There is an aspect where the human quality cannot be undermined, but some of the simulations are getting really, really good nowadays. And in fact, I've even went through shootouts and you know, sometimes you can't even tell anymore they're getting that good. What's a real amp and what's not a real amp. But yet again, this is all circling back around to don't let anything stop you. Don't let, don't say, well, I don't have enough gear. Uh, stop you from getting into music. Don't say, I don't have enough money. Stop you from getting into music. Because if you have a computer, you're watching this right now. You obviously have a computer. You've got the main hub, the central hub that you need to get started and everything else you can get for free. So just get started and then work your way up to the more professional things as you begin to bloom and you begin to grow into that. Because yet again, as we've already spoke of, it's so very rewarding to get into this this whole music aspect of things. Yeah, and, and gear chasing is kind of one of those things that like, it, you know, that's also easy to get into, but at the same time, it's like, it'll keep you away from doing all this cool stuff. You know, a lot of channels out there, they're just trying to promote like, you know, the newest, like, you know, I don't know, Keith McMillan, you know, synthesizer or, you know, any kind of brand or whatever. But a lot of, there's a lot of channels out there that are like trying to like showcase and sell these things. And, oh, here's the best synth of the year. And this is, this is a good one here. And oh, that, that's a good one there. But a lot of times, you know, they're just getting maybe like a few days to review it or maybe even a week or something like that. I'm not sure how long, but, and, and a lot of companies, they just want to, you know, get your income. You know, that's kind of what it comes down to. So a lot of the gear chasing and stuff like that can keep you away from creating cool things. And that's just my kind of spin on it, I, I would think. Well, that's definitely uh, very, very reminiscent of what I've been saying here for the last six years. So <laughs> kudos to you, man. That's a, that's an awesome <laughs> attitude to have because I think and you brought up a good point there. I mean, it's kind of like the, the fishing analogy, which I told my son. I recently he got, got him into fishing and then he wanted to go fishing like every day. And I'm like, OK, we got to we got to stop <laughs> at some point. We got to do other things. Um, but we went and stood in the aisle um, at a, at a local shop and just looking at lures all day long. And he wanted, well, maybe this one will get it. Maybe this one. And I let him go down that rabbit trail for a little bit and let him see. So he bought, you know, this one lure that his, uh, I forget what the guy's name was on YouTube, uh, that he watched him and you got to get this lure. This is what catches you the big bass. So he gets the lure and he goes out, does everything. The guy tells him nothing. Yeah. And I let him go through that about three or four times. And I, I told him, I said, son, and it's sort of the similar thing in the music world. I said, lures are more to catch the fishermen than they are to catch the fish. <laughs> yeah, that's a good analogy. Yeah, that's a, and that's a good one. a lot of times, you know, the newest guitar that comes out or the newest synthesizer that comes out or the newest this and that. And this, it's really just to catch the audio engineer or the musician. It's not really, you know, to, to do anything else other because at the end of the day, that guitar is still going to sound like a guitar and that new plugin that you got 
you could probably get the same results out of maybe a combination of two that you already have, or maybe three that you already have, or maybe, I mean, if it is something that does something, you know, outside of the bounds of what you can do, then yeah, you can justify some things like that. I'm not saying don't buy any gear at all. I mean, I would be the last person to say that, but what I, I can say, and what he's already uh, definitely said himself is just, you know, uh, be mindful of, of what you're getting and don't, don't go down that rabbit trail because it's, it's a vicious cycle. I mean, you will, it's sort of like with a guitarist swapping out pickups and you, you go down that rabbit trail of, okay, I've got this pickup in the neck and this one in the bridge. I'm going to swap these out. And you go for months swapping out pickups. But during those months, because your guitar has always been on the table under a soldering gun, you haven't even picked the guitar up to really play it. So it's not even used using the features that it was built for you're just swapping it out and trying to get that, you know, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally get what you're saying. It's, it's not that I don't ever like, you know, desire like something new. I mean, there's, there's a lot of cool new stuff out there. I mean, I could list off some cool stuff that just came out last year, you know, and it's like, oh, it'd be great to have that if I had two or three grand. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But like at some point, I mean, you have to be like, okay, when's enough enough? Because I have sold, like, I think I've had four other synthesizers that I've had to sell because it's like, I'm not going to be that guy that just collects them. It's going to be like a whole room full of stuff that I just collect. Uh, I can't do that. You know, I got to have my favorites, the ones I like and the ones that I know how to operate. And then those are going to be the ones that I then take into the future and do a lot of interesting things with them. So in your personal opinion, what what exactly makes a good synth sound to you? Oh boy, um, I think the filter is very important. There's a, a filter style that Moog uses called the ladder filter. It's a very deep filter that I, I don't know. It just feels very smooth. So the smoothness of a of a synthesizer is always very very good. Moog has always been very good about that. Although their products are more expensive, though, those are hand built. Everything that Moog makes is 100% hand built. They don't actually factory make anything. Uh, but on the other hand, they do have factory built, you know, uh, synthesizers that sound, you know, close. Maybe not as good, but definitely are very very competitive in that market. Um, so what makes a good one though? Um, yeah, I guess, I guess the smoothness for me is, is very nice. I like how smooth Moog products are. Um, the Korg is very nice too. I have a Korg monologue. Uh, it's, it's more kind of like edgy and it's more kind of like sharp sounding. Um, how, how I would know that it's kind of hard to, 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 to explain. Uh, but some of the sounds just kind of come out more digital kind of sounding and things that are more sharp, maybe more like kind of has more punchy square wave than the Moog has. I know that there's been debates over like how the square wave sounds on a Moog than it does on like a different kind of synthesizer. So maybe, maybe the, the bass kind of sine wave that, that they use for it. I don't know, maybe makes a different characteristic for it. Uh, now the science of it though, when it comes down to like people that actually build them though, like that's a whole nother world that I have no idea about. <laughs> There's guys that build these things. I mean, they, they make modules and stuff. Have you ever seen, um, YouTube channels of guys with these things called Euro racks? They're kind of a small kind of like, they're kind of like pieced out. Each one is like a piece of a synthesizer. So you would have a modulator, I'm sorry, uh, boy, what's the word? 
I forget, uh, but it would basically be a module that just makes one sound and you would patch it out to maybe like, you know, another unit that has a filter on it, or then you would patch in, you know, a gate control. So that way, every time you hit a key, it'll turn on the synthesizer. That it, There's a lot of really confusing deep things that you can really dive deep, deep, deep into when it comes to modular gear. Uh, but if I were to say like for someone just getting into maybe just one sound in general, get, get something that's already either built and put together. Cause those things that, I don't know, it's, it seems crazy. I don't know how guys do all that stuff. I've seen videos of just guys with walls of these modules and it's like, wow, I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> I would actually venture to say, uh, even dare to say that sometimes they don't even know what's going on. <laughs> it's possible. And now I know there's, there's maybe people that are, that know a lot about algorithms and mathematical stuff. And maybe that has something to do with it. That might tie into it. Uh, but yeah, you start off real simple and then you work your way to much more complex things. So those, those are definitely very, very, uh, deep. <laughs> Man, that was a really good explanation though. I mean, actually you've knocked it out of the park. Every single question I've had, you've come back with more information than what I ever thought you would even divulge on it. So thank you so much. Um, and, and I, I like to let people know that, uh, I, I am in no way a professional. So any <laughs> advice that I have is just my opinion, but, but, uh, uh, I do know a thing or two about them. Uh, but yeah, if, if, if anybody's looking for professional advice though, I'm probably the last person to talk to, <laughs> but I, but I do know, I do know some things though. I, I do know some things. Well, I appreciate that caveat and your humility, but at the same time, I mean, uh, I look up to you, honestly, when it comes to this stuff, because you know, like I said, it's it's all like a foreign language to me. I'd love to learn more about it. I feel like someone with the, the, that same skill set would make a really great engineer because you've already talked about, you've touched on several different things, cutoff filters, LFOs, um, modulation, all this thing. These are mixing engineer terms that we use with compression for attack time and sustains. And these are all like, it's, it's sort of all interwoven together. And so I think the more that you would understand about synthesis, the easier I think it would be when you got to the mixing board or to the mixing phase to actually get certain sounds that you'd like to, to get to. That's, that's a good way of looking at it. Actually, you know, in, in a way, I mean, you could really think about it. If you have like a hardware compressor or something like that, it's kind of like a synthesizer. I mean, those are kind of like building blocks to getting shaping sounds and things of that, you know, territory. Hmm. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to go and think about that one for a while. I think I've just stumbled across something there. But, uh, <laughs> this is what we were talking about earlier. See the, the whole, you get minds together and then all of a sudden you start finding inspiration and in things. And, um, wow. So I, I also wanted to bring up, we've got several people in the chat that are commenting on the artwork behind you. You want to talk a little bit about your artwork that's, that's behind you here. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is, uh, I think it's a Vincent uh, Starry Night. Uh, it's a, it's a interesting kind of like uh, painting that we bought online. But some of these are my originals underneath here. Awesome. Uh, recently, we, uh, my wife and I just put together this one thousand piece puzzle behind me. I'll show it to you. Sweet. And then um, 
my wife also, she paints as well. She does these Bob Ross style paintings. I can hold that up for you guys too real quick. Oh, wow. Wow. Oops. Trying to figure out where to, there we go. That's <laughs> beautiful, man. Absolutely beautiful. But yeah, uh, we're, we're really into art also. Uh, I think art's also a really great way to kind of get into something creative, uh, especially uh, you can kind of compare music and art. They kind of have similarities in it too. Very, very nice. Yeah, we definitely got some some applause going on in the, in the chat now. People were, we had a lot of people wondering about the artwork, Brian. And I know uh, Keith Lane, he said that that's definitely not just off the shelf stuff I see back there. That That looks like some original work, so. Yeah, this big one actually—it's—it's it's hand painted too. The very top—I mean, this big one back here, and the ones below. I kind of do like this abstract stuff every once in a while. So it's kind of just something I put together. Very, very cool. See, I enjoy painting myself too. I don't do it a lot, but whenever I get into that, where I want to do it, uh, yet again, something very rewarding. I love to draw. I love poetry and writing, like anything, pretty much that revolves around creativity. It just—I I think. It goes back to that thing I was talking about earlier about uh, the world needing music. Actually, I think not only does it need music, I think it just needs a, a renaissance of creativity. I think just the world hasn't, they've been stifled so much through materialism of go to work every day, hurry up, make some money, get a bigger house, bigger car, better this, better that. And me and my wife was talking about that today on the way to, uh, to Columbus. And um, I told her, I said, I think people's just gotten away from like just stopping and pausing for a moment and you know looking off into the woods and going wow that's beautiful instead it's like i gotta hurry up and get to my next job i gotta hurry up and get to this next appointment i gotta make this money I gotta do this and if people would just stop for a minute and just i'm gonna paint i think mm -hmm. the stress levels of america or even all over the world i think would just be ah i can breathe you know <laughs> so there's so many therapeutic properties to all of this yeah, 100% correct. That, that's how I feel about it, too. Yeah, it's just things getting so out of hand, especially in the world. So sometimes it's nice just to find a quiet place and do something, you know, that's nice, uh, like art or, you know, the one thing I kind of want to work on now uh, is kind of like writing things. You know, I've been writing in a book, just ideas and things that I've been thinking about, uh, you know, trying to create like maybe some stories or something like that. And that might also kind of play into some of my uh, music later on as well. But yeah, it's, it's also really nice to, to just talk in general. I, I also do these podcasts and uh, I got this RE320, which is really nice. Um, it's kind of cool to just talk and it feels like it's like a therapeutic kind of thing that I can just do everyone, you know, every now and then where I can just get things off my chest or I could just get an, you know, an idea that I had or something that I wanted to do with music or something, maybe just talk about it for a little bit. And so those kind of things I find just are you know, incredibly rewarding as well. And then, you know, if people go online, they can check them out and they can listen to it and they, they can relate to it. That's even cooler, you know, just like the one you're doing right now, the home studio simplified podcast. It's, it's really cool. The last one you did was really, really nice too. I like that one you did on uh, what was it? Depression and musicians. Oh yeah. That was really deep. I, I appreciate that. That's something that uh, for whatever reason um, has really been on my mind a lot lately. And I know over the past couple of years, three or four years especially, we've lost a lot of people um, 
not just like personal friends or family members or anything like that. But I mean, when we look back over, you know, the music industry, we've lost people even in the music industry here lately to suicide. And there's huge fits of depression that's just all over the faces of some of these people. And I think that's one of the things that I, I feel like here lately is I'm, I'm wanting to sort of expand the boundaries of what Home Studio Simplified is. Yes, it's a teaching avenue. It's, it's to help people get better sounding music. But I also would like to create sort of a place where you can come like a safe space where you can be encouraged and a place where you can come and uh, just clear your mind and find people who are relatable. And uh, which that actually uh, brings me to a point. If there's anybody in the chat who would like to know how to get a hold of Audio Surgeon, maybe you would like to work with him, collaborate with him, talk with him more about this kind of stuff. Uh, I do have links in the description of the video to his website and to the SoundCloud that he has, where you can go and listen to the podcast and his music. Uh, definitely want to check him out. He's got a, a ton of ton of cool stuff out there. In <laughs> fact, um, every one of his submissions has been just top notch. So. Uh, Keith Lane says, late guys have to go get the coffee. <laughs> By the way, this <laughs> you knew I was going to get to it. <laughs> this podcast is not sponsored by, but brought to you by coffee. <laughs> oh, yeah. My coffee today, uh, personally, I'm drinking a Starbucks Sumatra blend. And uh, Audio Surgeon, what is it that is brewing up in your cup? I actually have the bag here. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I, I was thinking it'd be kind of a little cool thing if you, you ever have, have anybody like on the show or anything, they could show you like what kind of coffee, like a bag or something like that. This one is uh, Jose's Organic. It's a, uh, let me see, Mayan blend. Ooh. It's really nice and very strong. That's what I need. <laughs> I need some more of that in my life right now. <laughs> I, I like to I like to take the the, uh, the beans and grind them. Oh man! Ooh, and yeah. You put them yeah. in a little grinder, and the smell is just so good. And then, uh, yeah, I, I brew a whole pot of this stuff. You are talking my language, brother. Yeah, this is a medium dark roast. Mm. Have nice. you ever, uh, did, have you ever done like uh, espresso, like in a machine? Yeah. Before? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That one gets you wired too. <laughs> <laughs> we have a. We have a local coffee shop that, uh, well, we used to have a local coffee shop. Unfortunately, about two and a half years ago, they had to close down. Um, but she had something that first time I'd ever tried it. I was like, well, what is this? And it was called an Americano. Have you ever had an Americano? I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah. So essentially, it's basically a shot of espresso, extra strong coffee, no cream, no sugar, um, so you have the extra strong coffee, the shot of espresso, and then I believe there's something else in there. Um, that makes it the Americano. And I, I think I want to say it's a shot of water. It might kind of tone it down a bit. But basically, it uh, coffee had not done that to me in a long time. <laughs> I took yeah. a drink and I was like, wow, this is what coffee used to do to me. <laughs> That's true. Sometimes I get that when I get a start, like just a regular cup of Starbucks, you know, sometimes I, I just get the black Starbucks and if I have that whole cup, it's like, wow, I feel actually the energy you're supposed to get out of this. That is true. And, uh, some places, uh, uh I don't know, like if you go to like, to like these circle K's or wherever gas stations or whatever, sometimes it, it, it almost seems like, uh, the, the coffee is kind of like, maybe they add something to it, maybe a little too much caffeine or something like that. Because like, yeah, uh, I noticed it's been very, very strong lately, but not in the sense like you're talking, like, it's like almost like a, like, whoa, man, I'm kind of dizzy, you know? If you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And see, I think part of that too is maybe, um, 
where they just leave it on the burner too long. Really? Like, Could that? Okay. Yeah, because it's like it almost overcooks it. So yeah, that could be what that is. Maybe it's just overcooked or something like that. You have to have it like right away. Otherwise it kind of gets bitter mm-hmm. and it goes weird. <laughs> Which that actually, you know, I got to tell you about this. There's a product that, I, and yet again, not sponsored, not plugging nothing here. Just love coffee and, and he's getting me excited now. There's a product, <laughs> <laughs> there's a product out there called the AeroPress. Have you ever heard of this? No. Oh my goodness. So if it wasn't in, in the other room, I'd run and go get it. But basically it's about, it's like a cylindrical tube about yay big. And mm-hmm. on the bottom of it, it has a plastic sort of like screen mesh type filter that you unscrew. And it has a little circular um, filter, like a rice paper filter you put in the bottom of that. And then you screw that back on top of that. You put your coffee in that tube and then it has like a plunger that you pour your hot water into that and mm-hmm. put that on top of your cup and then you just push the plunger down and it's like instantly fresh. It's almost like drinking from a coffee press, um, oh, okay. but it introduces air into it. So the very last push, you get almost like this frothy. It's, it's amazing. You got to try this. Nice. Yeah. Um, and the I cool thing, like the cool thing is too, you can, um, you can actually take and, and store coffee in that mm-hmm. and put the plunger down and then just like take it with you anywhere. And as long as you've got access to hot water, like good hot water, you can just put that in there and you're good to go. So nice. That sounds cool. <laughs> I think I think I've seen things like that. I just never used them before. Bob Studios. Bob Studios says a coffee bong question mark. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh man. Starbucks is too bitter for me, he says. Uh, glory to glory to glory. Hey, good seeing you in the chat, by the way. Mike is here. Says they overcook it. Um, Randall Hibbard says, yes, it was hot water. He was actually a barista at one time. So that's what goes into the, to making the Americana. Okay. Good deal. Bob Studio says, I'm just messing. No, I totally get it, brother. It's all right. So, uh, in the chat, while, while we have him here, I don't want to take up too much more of his time. Um, does anybody have any questions personally for audio surgeon? And then I can relay, relay those to him. Um, but until then, I also wanted to talk about very quickly. Um, he's just brought up this whole coffee thing and it's got me thinking about this. Um, <laughs> so I think he's, he's, he's onto something here. I think we're going to start going forward from today's podcast. I'm going to start mentioning not as like a sponsorship or promotional type thing like that, but I'm just going to start mentioning this is what coffee I'm drinking today because I drink a wide variety of coffees. I'm a coffee connoisseur, if you'd like to call it that. And then I think every time I have a guest on, that's going to be another question I add in there. Like, what's your favorite coffee? And then the second that they say, well, I don't drink coffee, I'll just cut them. And then, no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) You can't be here. You don't drink coffee. (laughs) Oh, there's, there's several in the chat who actually, every time I bring up coffee, they're like, yuck. So they're tea drinkers, which is fine. Just fine. Coffee is an acquired taste. It's not for everybody. Uh, I got to ask you though. So when you go into Starbucks, because I want to see what kind of reaction that you get when you go into Starbucks and you ask for a black coffee, Mm -hmm. what reaction do you get from that? Uh, it doesn't seem to get too much of a reaction. I mean, usually people are buying those frappuccinos and things, and I don't yeah. know. I'm not, I'm not really into that. But, uh, yeah, like, 
most time I, I don't have any too too much reaction. Okay, maybe it, maybe it's just around here because it, it seems like we've got two Starbucks that I frequent pretty pretty often, and they kind of cycle through employees pretty quickly. You know, they're usually there until they they get their degree or their diploma or whatever it might be, or sometimes they're just they're just there for a little bit. But it seems like every time I go up to the counter and I'll tell them I'd like a black coffee, they just give me like this deer in the headlight look. Like, <laughs> wait a minute, that. That's it. That's all I got to do is pour coffee. And I've, I've had them before. Like, do you want room for cream, sugar? Would you like? And I'm like, no, just just a black coffee. And like this one, the, there was a, a young lady who was helping me. And she said, um, sir, I think this is the first time in over three years that I've worked here that ever, anyone has ever came up to the counter and ordered just a coffee. Wow. She was like, this is going to be my easiest make ever. <laughs> <laughs> she comes over and just, that's it. You're done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you kind of expect that. You know, sometimes when I go up there, I do think like, oh, okay, I'm just going to get a regular coffee, you know, but, but yeah, uh, a lot of times uh, I don't get too much reaction, but I see what you're saying. Cause like, yeah, they have to go through like a whole training process, don't they? Just to make mm -hmm. all those different drinks and stuff. It's like crazy. There's so many different kinds they do. So I, I currently am not seeing any questions uh, for Audio Surgeon as of yet. However, I see a lot of comments about coffee. We've we've started a whole nother Herky <laughs> <laughs> uh, Acuff. He's our, our fellow Canadian. He says uh, coffee is already a flavor, so I just have it black. No cream, no sugar, no syrups, etc. That's what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And you know, it seems like too. I actually just stumbled across a, a company not too long ago. A buddy of mine got me some coffee for my birthday. This has been a year ago, I, I believe it was, from a company called Onyx Coffee Labs. And I think um, I've heard of them. Oh my goodness! He gave me a strain of their coffee, which they order from all kinds of different places. It's supposed to be all whole bean, organic. You know, never touched pesticides or anything like that. So I was like, already, it's it's I'm I'm liking it. But then uh, he got me the geometry blend and it's sort of like their most well-rounded. It's got like some fruity undertones, a little bit of like a chocolate undertone, not like overpowering. But the thing is, I make my coffee very strong. I mean, I love strong coffee. I want to taste it. I want to feel it in my bones. And <laughs> I made this coffee as strong as I possibly could. And there was no bitterness whatsoever. Nice. And I was just like, how did they do that? So I, I don't know if it was like taking out the uh, process that they normally use it for. I, I don't I don't know. Okay, here we yeah. go. We got it. Oh, we got a go ahead. glory to glory to glory says, uh, what guys makes you inspired as musicians like to know I'm an oil painter myself, by the way. So who inspires you is what he's asking. Uh, who inspires me? Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a, a lot of different people that inspire me. Uh, you know, uh, my wife also inspires me to go and do things as well. Sometimes I'll not be in the mood to do something, but then she's like, Oh no, go do something, make a song or something like that. So I'll, I'll kind of get inspiration through, through like, you know, her spirit and everything. And, uh, let me see just different, like, man, I, I haven't really listened to like music in general, like in a while, I guess like different bands and things that would inspire me. I don't know, man. Uh, um, I mean, I, I used to listen to Coldplay a long time ago 
uh, that was kind of interesting. Um, they have some kind of like deep, well, they used to, their music used to be kind of deep back, back in the day. Um, uh, what else? Uh, there's a friend of mine, uh, Mr. Basic. He, he's got a YouTube channel out there that we do this show called Modular Bay. Uh, there's some things that he does that kind of inspire me to do like, you know, shows with him and uh, like, you know, podcasts of my own. Uh, we'll do like shows on there and that, that kind of inspires me to do something different. Like I remember I was going to do a website and he actually put one together and I saw how easy it was. So I did a website. So like there's, there's just a lot of different influences out there that I kind of like see on YouTube that actually kind of inspire me as well, including your channel as well. Uh, I remember the first time I actually think I, I met you was on a Sweetwater live stream. I believe it was Sweetwater did like this live stream, yeah. uh, cause they didn't do it in person. Mm-hmm. And I actually, I, I asked you a question. I was, uh, or I just said it out, I guess, out in the, the chat room. I said, would, would doing a podcast be kind of a good way to advertise, like not, not, not advertise, but to kind of get your, your, you know, your music out there or to get your ideas out there and stuff. And he said, absolutely. <laughs> and then I, I saw, I saw you uh, with that comment there. And then uh, I think you asked if you wanted to like collaborate and stuff. So uh, I checked out your channel and I, I watched all your stuff and I, I thought it was really cool. So you, you've also actually inspired me as well. So, oh wow. Uh, so yeah, definitely. <laughs> Well, that's, wow. I'm humbled by that, man. That's awesome. I, I do remember now that you say that, yes, I do remember that because, uh, they were doing the gear fest live stream and I talked to my wife about it and I was like, cause we, it was the first gear fest I was actually going to be able to go to physically in person. And it's the one that got shut down. And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I was going to get to go mingle with people. And then, um, Okay, Which, go ahead. I'm sorry. It would have lasted like maybe 30 minutes and I would have retracted into my hotel room and been like, I can must assess what was done and what was said. But um, I remember when they said they was going to do it live, I was like, wow, that's even better. I can sit down and drink some coffee and I have to bump into people. I'll be able to hear the, the presentations. Um, so I actually did the live stream on my channel as well, um, even with fear of, of copyright infringement and uh Luckily, they didn't play any music, so it, it really didn't didn't touch touch into that. But it was really cool to be able to watch it together with other individuals in, in the community. And I remember that question now. And there was a couple of other people who actually would ask that question, too, because I think they were covering uh, podcasting and um, music submission and getting your name out there and getting your music out there. So, yeah, true. Mm-hmm. Very, very cool. But, but yeah, pe- people in general, I guess, inspire me uh, to be specific, like not too many celebrities really inspire me anymore necessarily, yeah. but people, real people in general, I guess I could say. And, uh, I did actually get a chance to go to Sweetwater. Um, geez, it was around October, the end of October. I went to go see the Bob Ross, uh, experience. I was actually at their opening ceremony in Muncie, Indiana, and I stopped by Sweetwater and, uh, that was one awesome shop that they got there. <laughs> I'll have to say that place is really cool. So that was a lot of cool. It was really fun to go there and check it out. You know, I almost, uh, right before, it's been about three or four months ago, I almost had a job there. Oh, really? During that live stream, I was like, so, I was like, man, I want to work for these people. And then I got the call and I got the uh, phone interview set up. And at that time, I looked at my wife and had stars in my eyes. And I was like, I could go work for Sweetwater. And she was like, and we could not pay our bills. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you're right. So I ended up uh, reluctantly turning that down. But at the same time, it was it was what was best for our family. Um, we actually live in Seymour, which is about an hour and 45 minutes away. Oh, okay. So I would have had to drive quite a bit to work. Yeah. yeah. 
unless we That's moved, um, which we're not prepared to do that at this at this point in time, but. That's cool that you actually got to go though. I really, that's definitely on my bucket list, so to speak, is, is something I, w- I want to do. I want to go and I want to, I'd actually like to see if they just give me a factory tour. I think that would be awesome. I'd love to see how everything gets packaged and shipped as quickly as it does. Cause it's just amazing how it can end up on my doorstep in a matter of days. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Every time I order from there and I'm actually kind of far, I'm actually down in the West coast, I'm in Arizona. So like I'll order something and with like, I mean, before the week is up, uh, it's already at my door. Yeah. So how do they, they do, do that? a pretty good job. Crazy. I don't know. Uh, well, uh, well, I, I, I do know a few things about like, you know, transportation and stuff. I, there is a big FedEx hub in Indianapolis, so they, they must have like a deal with those guys. Cause, uh, I, I think FedEx is like their main, you know, carrier for their products. So, uh, they probably hit up that, in, that big airport there. And so they probably air freighted out. That's what I think. Yeah, that yeah, would, but, but, but you're, you're, you're pretty close. So it's, 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 I'm not sure. I mean, I guess FedEx might deliver it still. Maybe I'm sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure FedEx would still deliver yours. Yours is probably a lot quicker though, but yeah, they, they do have a main hub and it's like the biggest one I think in this country. So yeah. Wow. So yeah, that would definitely explain how they, okay. I thought there was yeah, some kind of magic the, going on or something. <laughs> they're actually in a pretty good location. For, for being where they are, yeah. Uh, surprisingly, I, it, it's pretty interesting. And ha, did you hear the story about how it was started? There actually is like a little thing there. It tells you about the guy who used to have a recording studio in his uh, VW, and he would just go around and like do like portable recording and and stuff like that. And then he, that's how they started the company, I guess. It's actually kind yeah. of interesting. Is story. that not cool? Yeah, that's cool. The first time I I listened to that was actually during that live stream. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. We got uh, glory to glory to glory has donated through the use of the super sticker $20. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. <laughs> nice. Awesome. That almost, that scared me. I forgot that I actually put that where the sound would come through when I got a super chat. I got scared for a second. I was like, I didn't push that button. What's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Glory to glory to glory. And every time I say that, I, I feel like I'm getting tongue tied here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bob Studios actually has a, a good question for you here. He says, um, let me know if I'm I'm overextending you too. I don't want to keep you on here all day. So if you have something oh, to do, please let me know. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, do you run multi- multiple MIDI keyboards through an outboard sequencer outside of your DAW? He says, I like to run analog outs to a DAW for the old gear. Yeah, uh, what I have, uh, my output, okay, so I have my main keyboard, which is a a complete, uh, it's like an MK2, I think, I'm not sure, but uh, I usually uh, use my MIDI keyboard through FL Studios, and then through FL Studios, I have a, kind of like an external MIDI device, they call it like an iConnect MIDI Plus, it's got a four-channel MIDI output, and so what I'll do is, with this keyboard, I'll, I'll send outputs to all my equipment, so I'll have one going to the first mode of the 32, the second and the third mode of the 32. I'll have one going to my um, to my sub 37. And then uh, my Korg monologue, since there's not an output for that one, I actually have it running through USB. And uh, that's actually kind of a nice uh, thing that, you know, some of these synthesizers actually have USB connectivity now. So you don't even have to really run MIDI through it. But if you do connect like a what they call a MIDI DIN, it's like a five pin MIDI cable. Uh, I, I would use like an external box for it. So that way I can have all my channels laid out in my DAW and then I can just basically easily just select whichever instrument that I want to control. So that way everything kind of just 
it flows better for me. Like if I actually sidechain them, um, there's a way to do it. So basically if you sidechain them, you would have a MIDI cable going out from your main keyboard, maybe into like a drum machine. And then you would throw that out to like maybe your sub 37 and throw that out to like maybe like another instrument or something like that. But then, uh, I think you have to like modify some settings in order to make them work together. Uh, I always found that, uh, if you wanted to do something kind of like send like a CC clock or like a MIDI CV clock, uh, that kind of helps because everything will be synced and tuned. But if you're working with a playlist, for instance, like an in FL studios or even a cakewalk, uh, if you're just working in a playlist and you're just sending MIDI information out, I don't really see there's much of a reason to send a master clock out to everything. So, so yeah, um, I like to use like a hub to send out my MIDI information and then I just write something in the playlist and everything just plays together. It's kind of nice. Nice. Okay. Uh, Bob Studios, the gentleman who asked the question, says, he says, I run a, a Motu. So, okay. Uh, X.E yeah, e is in the chat now. Sorry. They probably have like a MIDI output on that. It's it's also an audio interface. Is that correct? I believe so, yes. Okay, yeah. Yes. That, that's kind of nice that they tie them together because some people actually get, get confused. They think that audio can actually go out these cables, and that's not the case. It's just right. sending information. Right. That's all it's sending. <laughs> Yeah, I, I can still remember when I first got introduced to MIDI. Um, it took me a minute to wrap my head around it because I was like, why is this cable not doing anything? Why is my keyboard broke? And then I realized, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is just sending signal. It's sending the language to the computer to talk back to me in the, in the however I'm telling it, what language that might be, whether it's this synth or that synth. So then once I got my head wrapped around that, I was like, oh, okay, now it makes sense. This is just... The cable is just sort of the conduit to get the information into the computer. I got it. Okay. And and keep in mind, uh, when you're writing a song, like let's say in your DAW and you're sending the MIDI information out, don't forget to record it <laughs> because when you compile your song, is all those notes don't mean anything as long as long as you record it. You have to get that WAV file in there, and that's right. the trick to it. <laughs> yeah, which those of you who are using Cakewalk, there's actually a way to convert your MIDI to audio by freezing it and then saving it. Uh, so when you freeze it, it automatically converts any MIDI information into a, an audio file. And then you can then export it that way. Or you can literally just uh, right click on it and go convert to audio and it'll do that for you. So uh, Michael, Micah Catergum, he says, uh, by the way, good to see you here, Micah. Oh, we got Ed Thorne is in the chat. Good deal. Nice to see you, buddy. Um, who else just popped in that I seen a second ago? Oh yeah, X x.e.l.o is in the house. Um, but yeah, Micah had a question. He says, nice creativity, but what is the use of the boxes behind you? I'm from the Netherlands and I do not know what you do exactly, but beautiful and creative. The box? You mean, you talking about the speakers? Maybe that's what, yeah, I'm not sure. I think, I think what you're seeing, Micah, is um, his speakers that he's got back there. Oh yeah. Actually, you know, what's kind of interesting. Uh, I was talking about this on a podcast. Uh, you know how like studio monitors, they can go into like thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. You know, uh, I was talking about loudspeakers and these actually back here are two, uh, Alasis, uh, geez, they're like 15 inch, uh, loudspeakers. I believe they run at 2000 watt. <laughs> Good. Nice. And they're, they're obviously 100% overkill for what I use, but, uh, 
it, it's kind of nice because the drivers on them are super clean, you know? So uh, if you want to like monitor something like in a loud environment, maybe if you want to test out like a song or something like that, and you kind of want to see how it's going to perform, uh, obviously in here, you, you know, it's going to be very loud. But uh, I do find that if I get them just, you know, almost to pretty much mute, <laughs> they actually work really nice as like monitors. So uh, you can actually kind of hear the clarity come through these speakers almost as good as like a studio monitor. And if you want to bump on you, you definitely could. I, I know that I did one time and the neighbor across the street, actually across the street came over and he was like, is that coming from your house? Man, my <laughs> pictures are shaking on the wall. And so I was like, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of cool to jam out to them too as well. So they're kind of nice for that. Uh, but uh, it, it's, it's nice to have a good loud pair of speakers. It's always great to test your music on it. And, uh, but I mean, again, it's kind of overkill since most people are probably just going to be listening to headphones or either on their iPhone or something like that. So it's just for fun. I would probably say. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. X.E says, good Lord, that should be loud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In fact, if you're not, if you're not being careful, if you, uh, crank them up too much, you, you'll start smelling smoke. So that's. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> awesome. Well, man, I sincerely appreciate you coming on and sharing your knowledge and just sharing your your spirit, your attitude with us. Uh, sincerely, an awesome guy. I really had a lot of fun today, and um, I look forward to doing some more stuff like this in the future. In fact, if you have any projects that you're working on in the future, hit me up, and if nothing else, we can get on here and discuss the projects together, and maybe you could uh, get on here and, and help if in some way, shape or form, I could help to promote those projects, I'd be more than happy to do so. So I absolutely a big fan of your work, of your music in general. I uh, love your artwork as well. And um, thank you. Thank you. Looking forward to to seeing more of you around here. And uh, so for those of you who are in the chat, we are going to go ahead and let him get back to his day. And then we'll just tie up a few loose ends here on the show before we shut her down the day. But Thank you so much for coming on and um, look forward to talking to you more in the near future, man. Thank you. And it's uh, like I said, it's been an honor to be on here. It's really cool talking to you. It's nice to actually get to meet you in person. So uh, it's 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 honestly a whole lot of fun. So all this stuff is is just so much fun to do and hang out with the you know, guys that uh, really are into music production and uh, doing all kinds of cool things. So <laughs> I just want to say uh, for everybody to stay creative. That's kind of my thing, I guess. So everybody awesome. stay creative and stay inspired. Awesome. So guys, if you want to get a hold of him, I have included links in the description of this video for you to get a hold of him through his uh, podcast as well as the SoundCloud, well, the SoundCloud page, as well as his website. So if you guys want to get a hold of him, uh, he's all over the internet right now. And also, if you want to listen to his most recent submission to the song contest, that's still up. The video is still up. You can go back and check that out. Uh, there's a couple of different submissions that he's, he's already put in uh, in previous times as well. Go and check that out. Like I said, you will you will be pleasantly surprised by the music that he's creating over there. It's it's really some good stuff. So I'm going to go ahead and let him go now, and then we're going to go into the next portion of the show. But thank you so much once again for stopping by, man. Thank you. Thank you again. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to the episode. If you want more information on Home Studio Simplified or just want to find out more information about Robert, go to homestudiosimplified.com. I'll put the links in the description of the podcast so you can just easily get there as soon as it's just a click right there on the mouse and you'll be instantly uh, introduced to all the cool things in uh, Robert's world. You have a lot of different cool sound production stuff and a lot of really neat things that you can enjoy and learn about. So he's also got a really cool class you can take if you go into his Patreon website. I'll, I'll also put that link in the description as well. So if you do enjoy stuff like this, go ahead and support him. He's an awesome dude. And not only that, to make sure to support the Life in Space podcast, go ahead and give me a review on uh, Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. So uh, again, thank you so much for listening. And um, I also want to extend a special thanks to uh, Robert. I had a great time on your podcast or your uh, YouTube channel, and I uh, wish to do some more stuff in the future. So uh, thank you again. And I hope everybody is going to stay safe and creative this year in 2021 so uh, thank you very much for listening to the show and have a great day and we'll catch you next time on Life in Space